0: Hi everybody, I'm your host, Guillaume Cauchois, and you're listening to a new episode of Rouge. A lot of you guys guessed Gab Dupuis for today's episode, and he was close, but no. <laughs> Our wonderful guest today is the super producer Stéphane Mongeau. When I first started my career, Stéphane was the kind of person that you could see in the corridor of Cirque du Soleil's IHQ in Montreal, and people would whisper, that's Stefan. He's one of the big guys. <laughs> and as you're about to discover, Stéphane produced a dozen Cirque du Soleil shows, was CEO at Lune Rouge, head of production at Fever. He basically knows a thing or two about live entertainment. I'm really excited to share with you our conversation about his approach and process to produce a live show, from the idea all the way to the premiere in front of an audience. So here he is, the super producer, Stéphane Mongeau. Stéphane, welcome to Tapirouge. Thank you very much. (laughs) How are you?
1: I'm super well. I'm enjoying the summer right now, so it's fantastic. Yes.
0: Yeah, it's amazing. Stéphane, I'm super excited to have you On the show because you are an executive producers in the entertainment industry so my first question would be like how can you explain what is a producer what does a producer do in the whole process of creating a show
1: Uh, uh, an executive producer gathers between creative production and operation he gathers the financials uh, uh, goals of a, of a project, but at the same time the creative goals of the of the project, and he's trying to do his best that through the entire process, through the entire creative process and development process, uh, everyone is aligned into the same vision creatively, but in terms of business as well. And then after that, it delivers by production and it's operate by the team, and it operates under the parameters that we're giving at the beginning.
0: Okay, so you're like really like the orchestra chef, like you're very the one that's supervising from the very top the whole creative process.
1: Well, yes, but sometimes I feel like I'm the cheese inside of a sandwich, you know, (laughs) because I'm the cheese that makes the sandwich maybe taste something different, but make sure that it will always taste the same. Ah, so sometimes yeah. <laughs> I I'm, feel I'm also squeezed between two things, between the business vision and the artistic or the creative vision. Yeah, that must be tricky. Yes, yes, but it's fun. It's great.
0: And so, what are the type of um, challenges that you face, like being in between the business side and the creative side? Because I feel as an artist, what I see from my perspective is that there is always like this conflict between the creatives and the business.
1: Well, sometimes sometimes you've got um, business opportunities that you cannot say no to it, you know? You go like, wow, this is, this is unique. I've got, we've got this great opportunity that we really need to it. Then depending if you have enough time, there are resources to do it, then you got to make it happen. So the most difficult thing really is really to make sure that both vision creatively and business are really aligned. And sometimes, you know, on the creative side, you like that creative challenge and and it it can also deviate from the business plan. Mm -hmm. So the business side has also have to follow sometimes the creative because there's also some creative opportunities that could come in. So both needs to stay agile and not be too rigid. You know, they need to be rigorous, but not rigid when they perform their own task. And that's my job in between the two and being making sure, you know, that the finance, the legal... The business side is following the creative uh, development, and that whatever is discovered in terms of creative throughout the process, then also the business can adjust. But sometimes also the creative has to adjust because sometimes you're going to hit some 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 business <laughs> challenges or or some things you know that are not that are unfortunate or you know that that don't go with the brand. Let's say you're working with a third party IP that doesn't belong literally to it. So sometimes you got to readjust as well. your your credit efficient. Hmm. So you got to be, you got to be very, very cautious I and mean, then you're always playing between the two lines. So that's why I feel sometimes, yes, I'm, I might be seen as, as a conductor, but I feel sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm more often uh, the person in the sandwich between the two.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and to give a little bit of your background to the listener, you were voted one of the top most influential person in the entertainment industry by Life Magazine in 2010. You are CEO and executive producer at Lune Rouge, which is the company that Gilles Liberté, the creator of Sir du Soleil, started after he sold the majority of his shares. And you also worked very closely with Cirque du Soleil. So can you tell us a little bit about how this adventure with Cirque started?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, my, my background is truly the theater. So I, I did the National Theater School of Canada in production. I was a lighting designer and a production director when I left. When I, when I got promoted in 1988, I did a lot of theater, small uh, community theater, nonprofit theater, a um, few, few operas. And then in 2000, I, I joined uh, Cirque du Soleil for the first show as a production director. It was called Verikai. Mm-hmm. Dominic Champagne was the was a show director. I knew Dominic very very well. So after Verikai, I was asked to do Ka with Robert Lepage. And I've worked with Robert in the past before I, I did Ka. Ka was a humongous challenge. I've never done a a permanent show. <laughs> so that was that was still you know a. Yeah, as a production director. And then they've asked me if I wanted to be executive and be vice president of production and oversee the entire production uh, vision and process of all the new projects at Cirque uh, Soleil. Oh, Before in 2008 or nine, I became one of the few executive producers at Cirque Soleil.
0: Wow. And so how was that like to oversee the whole production process for the whole company?
1: Well, it, it, it was a time in 2005 when after we have opened COD that I was asked to, um, to increase the numbers uh, of creation, of delivering new creation every year. So we were, we were at the time delivering one production per year, one new, new creation per year. They were asking me to deliver three creation every year. So oh, we yeah. were gearing up with Jules Saint-Croix at the time. So I had to rehire, restructure a lot of things, you know, the costumes, the rear soles, uh, the technical supports, um, all of it I had to find production directors. We had to add systems because we didn't add a proper system at the time for that numbers of production because it's not only that you got three at the time to deliver. If you have three to deliver, then next year you also have three. So in process, you you likely have between eight to 12 of them. So um, so it's a lot of work, you know, That's after crazy. you've done one show. It, it was crazy. It was a huge, huge, huge uh, growth. And then during that time, I raised my hand because at the time there was no executive producer at Search Soleil. So I said to Daniel Lamar, the CEO and to Guillaume Berte, the owner, I said, uh, gentlemen, you know, if you want us to deliver that numbers of show per year, we need to find executive producers. So they're gonna they're gonna coordinate. They're gonna lead the process, the entire process, as from the beginning, and they're gonna work with the different services at Circ and they're gonna deliver till till the opening. Because like, because historically it was a VP creation and the VP production that were delivering every project, uh-huh. but it was impossible from 2008 to do this. So 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 that's the first year that we've had our first uh, our first uh, executive producer. It was. Uh, To deliver the first shows in 2008.
0: It's crazy. How do you manage the creation process of, as you said, like sometimes 12 shows in the same time because you're doing in in things in advance. You must be like I can't even conceptualize all the information that you must be processing at the same time. It's insane.
1: Well, there's two things that you need to have right. You know, you need to have the right people and the right process. Mm-hmm. So and of course you need to have to be able to have a little bit of influence within the company to be able to tell to tell <laughs> you know the higher rank you know yes we can go there but please bear with me we're not there yet or mm-hmm. we need to find this or we need to do this so and at the time they were very very supportive because they knew that uh, they wanted to uh, that new uh, that new thing of of delivering three three projects per years so uh, we had like a couple of years to gear up but it, it was quite of a challenge yes. It was a new challenge. And for um, how many
0: years did you succeed at delivering three shows per year?
1: Well, actually, you know what happened is that when we first delivered in 2008, the first three shows, we delivered Zed in Tokyo, we delivered Zaya in Macau, and we delivered Chris Angel in Las Vegas. Mm-hmm. It was in 2008, the first financial uh, crisis that that we uh, hit at yeah. the same time. <laughs> so it was difficult in Macau. The growth in, in Macau, we were supposed to deliver six projects within the next five years. And then finally, we were in construction of a second project in 2008. So, And it, and it got stopped. Um, in Tokyo, they've also had their shares of uh, financial problems. So, so it was quite difficult. In 2009, we've hit some other challenges at the time. Um, If you remember, there was, uh, we did the Elvis show in Las Vegas. Yeah. We were doing, uh, we did Ovo uh, touring show and we were going to do uh, Banana Split in New York. So that was, that was quite a challenge at the time. Uh, Ovo went very well, you know, touring shows, we manage our own destiny, you know, it's our own Mm -hmm. big top, it's our own theater, it's our own brand, it's our own. Working with Elvis, we're working with a third party IP. So it's always, it comes with its own challenges. Mm-hmm. And it was also construction of a new theater. And it was at City Center. Uh, it was huge. It was a huge, huge, huge theater. So, and it was inside of a, what they call the City Center. So they had mm-hmm. huge challenges out there yeah, okay. real estate challenges and construction challenges on top of it. Real estate challenges, construction challenges financial challenges for our partners and so on. And banana spiel, I said banana split, eh? I'm sorry, it's banana spiel. (laughs) Sorry, it's it's banana spiel. As his own set of challenges, I would say uh, maybe more on the creative sides at the beginning to find his way, find his right, the right angle. We wanted to do a burlesque show for the first time, a full burlesque show Mm -hmm. in New York. So you're right in the middle of, you know, one of the biggest city of the world of entertainment. So, it was quite challenging. Ah,
0: for sure. It was quite challenging. Uh, how much time does it take to create a Cirque Show since the first ID all the way to the premiere?
1: We've always thought, you know, that ideally for a touring show, a big top show, it would be between 18 to 24 months. Okay. And for a residential, uh, depending of where we would have to deliver, um, because it, it comes with the construction of the theater. So it comes with the regulations, the local regulations and all of that and the, and the permitting process. But it's, it's usually not less than 36 months.
0: Okay. It's a long process to carry on the project. You need to have like a lot of stamina and to say engage in a process for a very long time.
1: Yes, yes. But most of the time we've, we were asked to deliver in a shorter period of time. So let's say like when we did Ka, we were asked to deliver in 24 months, we delivered in 29 months. Hmm. So we didn't deliver in 36 months. We didn't have 36 months. When we did the Beetle Loves, I don't think it was 36 months either. I think it was closer to the 28, 30 months. Hmm. So so the ideal and what we would like to, you know, is also different. So we also have to adapt, you know, that's that's the reason that as an executive producer, you have to adapt, you have to make sure that your teams are ready to adapt because the process through, through time will have to adjust as we go for different reasons. For local reasons, for business reasons, for geopolitical reasons, as mm-hmm. for creative reasons.
0: Yeah. yeah, it's true we don't think about this so much, but geopolitics must be playing a huge part in this whole process. Because if there is is a I don't know a coup d'etat in one city, in a city where you're planning on opening, and if there are interests that goes against certain value of the company, you have to be able to react.
1: Yes, and if there's you know climate uh, problems like floods and stuff like that, if yeah. there's uh, or just cultural uh, cultural um, challenges. You know, like in Tokyo, in Japan, mm-hmm. Japan will not will not want to expedite at all. You know, they have a process. They wanted to follow the process. They said we're going to open on the eighth of August of two thousand eight, and you know what? We've opened the eighth of August of two thousand eight. We tried to expedite <laughs> the opening. They said no, and but they delivered right on yeah so so we also have to adapt to the culture we also have to adapt to how we speak with these different cultures so uh, and how do we organize ourselves around uh, around them as well we have to be sensitive to it
0: yeah for sure and on top of your head what were the biggest challenges that you faced as an executive producer or as a production manager during your time at Cirque
1: It was time. It was really time. You know, there was time. Uh, our partners, our business partners, um, you know, they were eager to um, to get us ready because there was a great opportunity. When you look, you know, if you're in Las Vegas, you can't have a downtime too long in with nothing in your theater because the theater is in mm-hmm. the casino. The casino has to to run. So if you shut down the show, then if it takes months to shut it down, takes months to install and to control. Uh, and to and to uh, build the show then it's all downtime for them so 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 time is as always been the, the most difficult factor
0: mm-hmm. how do you deal with the moments where you have to say no we can't do things in a shorter amount of time or like we cannot do things this way like it has to be done this process that we're doing we can't change that part like we, you have to go along with that how do you manage these moments
1: well I always tried you know I've always managed creative process throughout my uh, throughout my career and I've always managed not, never to say no without options okay I would say I would say this seems unlikely this is this this seems impossible but there's options if you're willing to take the risk of this of that you know there could be financial risk there could be technical risk there could be creative risk there could be commercial risk but if you can identify them, then someone beyond you can say, "Yes, we understand that. Like let's say when we've opened Elvis, we had to open on the fifteenth of December. The theater was delivered late, but we had no choice. There was a huge penalty, huge financial penalty for our partner. Um, there was you know there was a lot of things at stake. So we met and we said, okay, we can we, it, it's possible to deliver on December fifteenth for sure. but it's not the ideal and the bigger risk, you know, it's going to be on the creative, it's going to be on the technical. We'll have to cut corners. But I said we can deliver a show. If after that we can go dark for a few weeks and then just to readapt the show, just to adjust the show, taking care to finalize the small details. Will this be acceptable to everyone? And then everyone said yes. So okay. we went like, okay, then, then we can open the show as promised. As agreed on our agreements, and for everyone, for us, for our partners, for everybody, then we're going to go through um, through Christmas time and all that. In, Jan- in January, we're going to go back to rehearsal for three to four months, at uh, three three to four weeks before we do the gala night and the big media night.
0: Ah, so, so you so
1: you always provide options and solutions. Well, that's our job, you know, to say no sometimes. Yes, we would love to say no, but our job is to to say it seems unlikely. Again, we can <laughs> say no, but there's options and there's risk. If we're all in the same boat, if we're all together within the same risk, we all understand what are the risks, then let's do it. And
0: I wanted to ask you a little bit about Cal because you said that he was a humongous project. What did you think the first time you talked with Robert about the... Just the technicality yeah. on the stage, like that huge scenography and all the technical aspect, like the biggest show ever created.
1: I think I had to be a little bit naive at the time, because when I met Robert, <laughs> I knew Robert. When I met Robert with Guikano, we were just the three of us, and then when they showed me what what Robert wanted to do, I never understood the magnitude of what we were going to, to do, actually. <laughs> and then when Mark Fisher got on board and all the other designers got on board, then it just got bigger and bigger and bigger. But when you're out there, you don't see it. And then at one point when we've hit a wall, we've had technical challenges, technological challenges. We had to delay the premiere. We had some, you know. And when we went through all of this, when I look back, I, I was like, well, what were we thinking? But at the same time, if we <laughs> knew all of it, you know. But it's only at the end of it that you can really appreciate that you can really see, okay, we it was that big, eh? Because when you're in the middle of it, it's part of the process. You just dive into it. You push the ideas and it's one after the others. And actually, you know, Mark Fisher would always tell me, you've cut half of my show. And I'm always like, come on, Mark, you know, this show doesn't seem like it's missing. anything. <laughs> you know? It's It's got all the bells and whistles, all the big machinery. It's got things, you know, that never been done in the world. and." Yeah, for sure. And you're telling me that we've got half of it. And of course, he had more and more and more <laughs> ideas, but I was like, Mark, there's a limit. There was some limitation. There was, even though it doesn't seem that, that there was limits, there was limit.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's great. And I, I think it's interesting what you're saying about being naive in order to make incredible things happen. Yeah. Yeah, I think to be a, a bit naive, to be a bit like, okay, yeah, let's do this, let's do this
1: thing. It, it seemed a bit crazy, but why not? Well, when you want to innovate, when you want to take another path, another creative path that, that is already existing, it comes with a lot of risk. So, and you can't evaluate, and maybe you could, but when you're given two years to, to do from concept to opening, you don't have time to evaluate everything. So, and it's impossible, mm-hmm. you know, and when you go back and you say, hey guys, two years is crazy. It's impossible from the design to demolition to construction to to the production to rehearsals and to opening it's really impossible so but we kept that calendar till till almost the end and we've only slipped that calendar from 5 months so at the end of the day we delivered in 29 months but because of that we've never mm-hmm. had the time to evaluate really do a risk a full risk assessment of the project because ideally, if you want to make sure that there's no risk, then you take a moment after you've got all of the concepts, you've got the quotes, you've got the bids are back, the engineer studies are back, and you take a time to analyze everything and to analyze the risk. But here, we had no choice. It was impossible. and We had to continue, and the owners, both partners, never gave us the opportunity, or well, not the opportunity, the choice to stop, to stop the process. So we've all embarked and we're all professionals and we all went there and we've delivered as a team. Our
0: partner in this episode is Circus Talk, the online carrier marketplace for circus and the performing arts. Circus Talk is the new thing that is great for our international circus community. It is an amazing information resource, bringing news, events, and industry trends to us, professionals working in the field. What also makes Circus Talks amazing is their first online casting platform that connects talents and talent seekers in circus and performing arts. If you're a talent seeker, you can finally post jobs and auditions in a professional and transparent way, instead of using social media accounts. There are already over 28,000 artist profiles on Circus Talk that talent seekers can search while talents can find jobs and apply to them via the Circus Talk platform. You can get your first month free on both Circus Talk talent and Talent Seeker Pro membership by using the promo code Tapirouge in one word. So go to circustalk.com, sign up to PRO and use the code Tapirouge to find your spotlight with our partner, Circus Talk. All right, guys, a little side story now. Back in 2014, I hurt my back training backstage before a show. The pain was so intense, I couldn't put my socks on, sit for more than two minutes, and obviously, it took me out of the show for quite some time. I followed a strict core rehabilitation program, and after six weeks, I got back on stage. But I kept having recurring pain. So I started to educate myself about core anatomy, rehab training, and pain science. I wanted to understand why am I doing all these exercises if the pain keeps coming back. The more I was learning, the more I understood I had to change. I started switching exercises, tweak some techniques and executions, and also completely changed my perception of pain. After a couple of weeks on top of reducing considerably my pain level I was feeling so much stronger which increased my confidence to move and better perform on stage. My life overall was so much better, finally I was pain free and not scared to hurt my back again. I had a lot of artist and athlete friends who saw that happening and asked me, hey what did you do for your back? And I thought I could put it all out. In a clear and clean way instead of always putting random videos on youtube and giving quick guidance so i reached out to all the best doctors physiotherapists and performance medicine specialists whom i met touring and asked them to help me develop protocol cut to the core protocol cut to the core is the first rehab and strengthening protocol for back or hip pain That also includes a comprehensive course in core anatomy, biomechanics, and pain science. It is approved by doctors, physios, and performance medicine specialists from five different countries. If you are suffering from acute or persistent back or hip pain, you can find protocol Cut to the Core on our website at cuttothecorefitness.com. When movement is an issue, movement is the solution. And now let's get back to the show. Talking a bit about innovation, do you want to talk a little bit about what you guys are doing at Lune Rouge
1: and how this company came to life? I was at Lune Rouge from uh, 2017 to 2019, so I left uh, just a month before the pandemic. But what we did at Lune Rouge, and we did that very, very quickly as well. Guy had an appetite to do this very quickly. It was to build the pyramid. So PY1. PY1 for, was set to be, you know, like the new, uh, the new venue of the future where different content could happen. During the day could be something. The, the afternoon could be a show. Uh, it could be from uh, L10 okay. wellness classes, like yoga classes, breathing classes to a show with a different catalog of a show. And then at night, it becomes a nightclub, Mm -hmm. but a a thematic nightclub, just not another nightclub, but a thematic nightclub. When it was a 260 degrees projection, there was kinetic effects. Mm -hmm. Uh, We were looking at augmented reality. We were partnering with Microsoft, Mm -hmm. with HoloLens. So again, there was a lot of new innovation, a lot of things that... uh, So when we did the first chapter of PY1 in 2019 in Montreal, you know, there was a lot of things that worked well, mm-hmm. a lot of things that needed to be reworked. And then we set it up after this in Arlington, Texas to finish what we call their proof of concept. And that went till February, March of 2020 until, until COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And everything stopped at the time.
0: Yeah. And is innovation in entertainment something that you are attracted to, or like the type of product that you are pushing for?
1: Yes, yes. Innovation is something that really uh, that really attracts me. Um, do I personally push it? I can't push it all the time because it depends on the project, depends on the producers, depends on the risk factor. Coming out of COVID, people are less uh, entails mm-hmm. to take risk. So we have to be careful with that. I'm uh, now, now working, I've worked the past year with a group called Fever. Mm-hmm. They're based in, uh, in, uh, in uh, Madrid. And we delivered projects mm-hmm. co-investing with Netflix. So we did a project based on Stranger Things and on Bridgerton and Casa de Papel. So we did that. So that came with a different way of producing different ways of doing entertainment as well.
0: Yeah. So like how did that process work? Is it fever? You guys have the idea we want to do an experience based on Bridgerton? And then you contact Netflix and you expose your concept and you work together? Or is it more Netflix that contacts you that say, hey, you are doing immersive theater project already. Would you want to design an immersive theater
1: based on our Bridgerton brand? You know, uh, Fever is a discovery platform, first of all. It's a platform where you can discover different type of content, all different types of content. It could be mm-hmm. exhibit. It could be immersive shows. It could be pop-up cocktail shows. Uh, it could be Netflix, it could be with Disney, Paramount, Warner Brothers, different group of people. Uh, during the pandemic, they did the drive through of Stranger Things. Um, so in-car, okay. they were able to go to different locations, they were showcasing a bit of Stranger Things. And when they met at the end of that process, they discussed about new IPs that they can use um, to showcase at the time they were developing La Casa de Papel, Money Iced, And that was done last year in Paris, uh, New York, London, Mexico City, and Miami, all at the same time. And during that time, we were developing Bridgerton uh, and then Stranger Things that we've delivered. uh, Last uh, winter and uh, spring, there's four tours of each of the projects. So so there's eight of them. There's eight experiences all over the world today.
0: And what are these type of experiences
1: like? So Bridgerton, if you know the IP of Bridgerton, you're invited to the Queen's Ball. Okay. So you're invited to the Queen's Ball. And in the TV series, uh, they're looking at the diamond of the season. Yes. Now we're going to be looking at the diamond of the night.
0: Ah, okay. So
1: people are invited to the Queen's Ball. People dress up. They, they could they could decide not to dress up, but a lot of people decide to dress up. They get mm-hmm. to the immersive room first, so they get to go to the muddies they get to to see the real costumes of the series, to see some of the sets of the cost of the series. The queen comes in with musicians, they get to bow to the queen, and then after that they invite it on in the other room, which is the ballroom, and then they get to dance, they get to participate. And at the end the queen selects the diamond of the evening.
0: Oh, that's awesome.
1: So it's a great experience that you that you have between 90 minutes to to two hours. It all depends on how much time that you want to dedicate to this. Mm-hmm. And then Stranger Things is a different format. It's another immersive theater show that I would say a little bit based on the escape room. Okay. So you're invited again. If you know the IP, you're invited into the Hawkins lab. Okay. You're invited to a, a sleep study. So that's the context. So that's the pretext. Uh, okay. So you comes in that 50 people every 15 minutes. You're split in two groups. The two groups will do the same. Well, will do two different paths, but it's the same path. Okay. So you're going to get into three rooms. You're going to be testing. And then you're going to be, you, you'll have to escape. You're going to have to play. You're going to have, and then you will, uh, you will be introduced to the actors of the series that we filmed. And they're talking to you. So you have to do some things to escape the room. So there's a little games, 15 minutes, 15 minutes per room about. So that's 45 minutes at the end. Mm-hmm. And then you get into a big 3D room. And then at the end, you get to experience in the mixtape environment, a retail bar, ice cream, pizza with music of the 80s, everything in the 80s. And, you, you know, there's a lot of follow-ups uh, like the buyers in oh, yeah. the living room and, and other places. So so the the core fans and the fans of the series really are enjoying the moment. It's a great time. And again, you can spend... Between an hour to two hours, there, depending on how much time you want to dedicate to uh, the experience.
0: Yeah, I want to ask you how is the response from the audience for this type of experience?
1: They love it. They love it. They truly love it. You know, the it's very different, but uh, stranger things, you know, since the season four has, has been launched this summer, mm-hmm. it's a huge, huge, huge hit, and people are so interested by it. So we've opened in Brooklyn last May, we've opened in, in San Francisco in June. Both are running. We're opening in London in a month. And then we're going to open in a clientel later on. Each places, they're going to run to for three to four months, and then they're going to move places um, around the world. Bridgerton, we're in, uh, again, four different cities right now. Same thing. We're, we're in our second cities. Mm-hmm. So very, and again, very different. We didn't know that people we will want to dress. We thought that the core fan will want to dress, but there's a lot of people that wants to dress. People come and they really, really played the game. I think people coming out of COVID, they really enjoyed uh, these type of experiences.
0: Yeah, and do you see differences in reaction depending on locations or like different cultures? Like you say, you have experiences in Spain and also in New York, in London, or it's more or less the same, the same reaction.
1: No, it's more or less of the same reaction. Of course, there's some, you know, there's some places where. You know that you feel that there's more. You know, people that are engaged, but uh, no, no, people are really. Again, I think uh, what Netflix did with their TV series is very, it's very original, but it's also it's appealing for everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're a fan, you know, and they've touched so much, so many people with their TV series that they want to extend their experience from what they saw on computer or on TV to. A real and they want to experience it real so that's great yeah because one thing that it just reminded me of
0: for Bruta that run for almost 10 years in New York City and that tanks after one month in Vegas and you would think like oh it's the perfect type of experience for Vegas people go there to party it's the perfect show and it just didn't work how can this be such a success in one city and then not work at all in the other one
1: well, Vegas is a, has its own way. You got to you gotta be careful because Vegas does it its own way. It tackles differently as well. If you look at the demography, we used to say with Cirque, you know, there's between 1.5, let's say 2 million local people, but there's 35 to 40 million visitors per year. Okay. So you need to tackle to the visitors. You need to, and it's not between the 35 and the 40, not everyone will go see a show. Not everyone is interested by the same show. But even if you tackle to 5 to 10% of them, it's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. So it takes time. It takes a brand. You know, Cirque has been, I think, great. It came in at the right timing, I would say, in 93 with there as the first show. Oh, after that in 98. So it built this brand. Fuerza Bruta, I don't know, I, not, I was not involved into it, but it's very different, where in New York of course there's a lot of tourists, but there's a lot of locals, a lot of locals also that go see shows that are live entertainment goers and they have a huge appetite for Broadway show opera, mainstream, but also to new trends mm-hmm. new new things, you know that you can find, more experiential avant-garde content you know so it's very, very different. I'm, I'm somehow not surprised. Even with our projects, with Fever right now, we haven't, we haven't touched really with, with Vegas market yet. We're talking about it. Uh, we're looking at partnering there, but we know it's going to have to be different. It's going to have to be a, a different advertising, a different partnership, mm-hmm. a different way to do, and you know, to touch people and to engage people. Even if you look at the Broadway show, every time the Broadway show went to Las Vegas. If they kept the same format of, and you know, with the intermission in the middle and all of that, it never, never really lasts very long. Mm-hmm. No, it, they never had long runs. So you got—it's very specific. Vegas is very—it's
0: yeah, his own beast, and you have to really adapt to it.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. That's super interesting. Absolutely, and and that's the good thing, you know, with with fever today. Uh, what fever did also uh, over the past years, and especially during COVID. You probably heard about the candlelights. So the candlelights are are, are 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 traditional if you want concert music mm-hmm. concert classical concert, but it's actually not traditional. It's a quatuor, so it's for musicians. It plays only with you know it's very intimate in a room of three hundred people for sixty to seventy minutes with no big production value, mm-hmm. only with candles. Mm-hmm. But you're very close to the musicians. So, it and it's, and the cost is not very, very uh-huh. high. It's not very expensive. So it attracted the new, you know, a new demographic that didn't really go see classical show, classical music show, because they always thought it was not for them. Mm. But right now we did a product directly for them. And because of that today, we've got, we're in 80 different town, 80 different cities all around the world wow. doing
0: candlelight. It's amazing.
1: Congratulations. And, and because of that, we're learning. So we're learning about the different culture. We're learning about the different cities because each city has its own way of doing things as well. So I think we're getting more educated Mm -hmm. and better at it as we're going to come with new type of projects afterwards.
0: Yeah. And how do you see this live entertainment changing? Because you've been in show business for many years now. And now, obviously, it's a very specific moment post-COVID. But do you have a vision of general direction that the live entertainment industry is going towards too?
1: Well, I always thought, you know, that theater will will remain, concerts will remain, opera will remain and all of this. But there's other genres that we need to develop to attract a new demographic, a new demography. You know, I always thought that people want to be more engaged when they're younger they do escape room they do all these things they're looking for something different where they will participate mm-hmm. so i think i think anywhere that you can bring them where you can immerse them into a world bring them in the world make them part of that world i think you're going to touch a different group of people and uh, but still the traditional way will always going to work you know it's been working yeah. for centuries So that's not going to change. That's not going to change, even though people think, "No, it's going to die. No, it's never going to die. I don't think it will ever die. But I think there's always going to be, you know, new trends, new ways. And I think today in in today's world where people are zapping more faster and all that Mm -hmm. life is going faster. They want to be they want to be part of it. They want to be part of it. They want to be in the world of these things. Mm so and how do you balance that
0: the aspect of we are bringing something new to the table versus we are giving the people what they want because i feel that it's it's a thing i I read about that the audience needs to be ready for your product and sometimes a product may be amazing but too far ahead of the people but if you give a product that's also too far behind, that it's not going to work either. And now you're talking about engaging people more and like pushing the boundaries of live entertainment. But how do you make that balance of we're going to give you something new and we're also going to give you what you want?
1: Well, I think it depends, but I mean... You know, with fever, I think the other thing that we do super, super well is that we do lots of survey. We talk to our yeah. people. We know we have a better idea what they want, even the in the creative process. Even you know, with with Bridgerton, with Stranger Things, we're able to go back to them when they bought tickets and say, okay on the top of, you know, what are the three things that you're looking for? Mm -hmm. And then we know, you know, should we push a little bit more onto they want to see more costumes. Okay, so so Bridget and they want, they're really interested by the costumes. So let's make sure that we can show them the real costumes of the series because that adds values for them. Mm. Are they interested by something more acrobatic? They say, yeah, why not? So we're pushing it a little bit, but not too far, but just to see. Then we see that they like it, then we can continue to push. Mm. And these things, what's great about that, even Bridgerton, you know, there's going to be other seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Stranger Things are going to be other season. We saw it, you know, from season three to four. So we got new characters that were mm-hmm. already implementing into Stranger Things because of season four and the success of season mm-hmm. four. So so these things keeps alive. What we do is, is live. So as soon as we can keep that fresh and live, And then we can survey, we can talk to people, we can ask, you know, what did you think about that? And then sometimes you're you're putting a lot of effort, you're spending a lot of money, you're investing a lot of time creatively, financially on something that people don't really care. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you're some things, you know, that you spend just a little bit of time, but you you feel that they want more, they want to see more. So if you could put just a little bit more effort there, they'll go like, wow, okay, yeah. Then you can embark them to another journey afterwards so there's a bit of that communication also i think that uh, that that exists today that we can continue to have and that i think i believe that fever does very well and is it something that's um standard for
0: an entertainment company to have that open line of communication with their audience and to keep things fluid and flexible like that or is it something that you guys at fever are
1: pushing more I think at Fever we're pushing it more. I think at Cirque when I left Cirque, we were starting to do it. After we've opened shows, we were starting to have some surveys, and with you know we had the club Cirque, so we had membership. We had people that we can talk to and ask them which shows, why, and and you know what act and outcome, you know. And did, did you feel the difference between the shows of here and the other show there? Because sometimes Cirque they were saying it's the same show, just different <laughs> acts, and then you go like, no, that's not true. The story is very different. There's no story. Yes, there's a story. So, <laughs> so you know, the music is different. As we know, There's the char- The characters are very different. So, so I know that, but maybe as an expert, I know that. But maybe as an audience member, if you're really a real fan of Cirque, you will know this, but maybe you don't feel as, as that. Does it really matter? Maybe not. Maybe yes. <laughs> so anyhow, uh, Cir- Cirque started, yeah. Cirque started when I was still there in 2012 to, to talk with their people with their club Cirque. And, but I think what fever does, it does it, it, it does it massively. Mm. It does it to everyone, you know, with their platform, they're talking to people with their platform. So it's an engaging platform. Mm-hmm. It's a discovery platform. You've liked this. Maybe you, you, you're going to like that. And then you find out, okay, so that person like this and like that. So maybe he's going to like that. Why did you like this? Why did you not like mm. that? And then you can discover, and then you can say, hey, okay, maybe we have something else for you. So so these are the things. So that's a, the type of uh, conversation that we're having with the audience, with people. And I think, again, people are responding and people are asking questions, you know? Oh, that's and awesome. That's important. We have a group that only does that. We have a group, you know, that does customer service, if you want, does that does that, that speak with people all the time. Their job is this. Someone complains, why? Why are you not happy with this? What happened? Is it a one off or is it something that happens all the time? Or is it something that we can correct? Is it something that, you know, yeah. is it a mistake that we've done on our part? What is it? Uh, you did not expect this. How come you did not expect this? What did you expect? You know, and then on the other end as well, that was awesome. That was great. So, okay, what was awesome? What was great? Could you take more? Would you want more? Or it was just enough, you know? So we have that ongoing conversation. So when, when we look back, we look back and then we've got all of this information that we have, all of that feedback, and we work with that feedback. Yeah. And even when we change city with the same show, understanding that we've got that last feedback, then we can adjust, continue to adjust mm-hmm. our shows and our experience as we go.
0: And it's amazing. And obviously it's working because, as you said, the feedback from all the experiences is always great. As you said, if you keep making it alive and bringing new things, surprising and i think it's knowing what the people want allows you to surprise
1: them the right way yes and i saw i think they appreciate the fact that we have that conversation yeah then after that they see they see that we've made some progress and we we took their you know mm-hmm. took their feedback constructively and we've worked with it yeah they feel valued and listened yeah, absolutely cuz you know we're not there for the short term we're there for the long term mm-hmm. So again, you want to engage them. You want to, to make sure that they are satisfied that, that whatever they're looking at. And maybe when they come back to the platform, because it's a discovery platform, they're going to go less. Okay, what is this? Yeah, I can see the video of this, but they can go to the FAQ and they can ask more questions hmm. there. And then we will answer them, you know, and, and we'll tell them, yes, you're looking for that. Yes, you're going to get, Now you're looking for that. No, please check this other product here, uh. the other content here. Maybe this will interest you more.
0: That's amazing. And do you have one project or one show that you are most particularly proud of?
1: Uh, it's it's a very a very difficult question because <laughs> <laughs> it could always be you know the last one you did because you're most you know you're more emotional about it. Mm-hmm. Of course, it could be the biggest challenge. You know, like things like you know a project like mm-hmm. Uh but. At the same time, it's like asking, you know, someone asked me one day and I asked someone and I think it was, you know, I asked him what choice he says. It's it's like asking me, which kid do I prefer? They're all my kids. Yeah. (laughs) I don't pretend they're all my kids, but I'm saying, you know, they're all values in there. I'm all attached emotionally to each of them, you know? So, uh, so some of them during the course of 34 years of experience, you know, I've, you know, it could be a theater place, it could be an opera I did, it could be a concert I did, it could be, but for different reasons.
0: Yeah, and uh, I have one last question for you. Yes. If tomorrow aliens landed on Earth, <laughs> what would be the first thing you suggest they do?
1: Which show they should come to see? <laughs>
0: It can be anything. can you go to eat at this restaurant, this dish, go to watch these shows, live shows, watch this TV series. It can be anything. What would, what would you suggest aliens to do? The first thing they do when they arrive
1: on Earth. Maybe they sit down and they look around. They breathe and they look around and look at what is out there before they do any moves and make any decisions. <laughs> take, take a step back. So stop before you do anything. Well, take a step back before you go too fast. That's
0: a good, it's a very good advice for everybody in our situation. Take a step back before you go too fast. That's great. Stefan. thank you so much for coming and giving us a bit of your time. It was really amazing to listen to you talking.
1: Well, a real pleasure to have that conversation with you today.
0: That's great. Take care and congratulations again for all the amazing success. And I guess we'll see what you and fever have to offer in the next couple of months. I'm excited about that.
1: Great. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you so much. And, and go and good luck to all of you as well. Thank you. Take care.
0: How amazing is Stefan. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Stefan has such a great insight about the production and creation process. As artists on stage, we don't always remember that when we show up to the first day of rehearsal, there is already an army of people that has been working for months, sometimes years, just to allow us to walk in the studio and start creating. Now, it's time for you to give us a good rating and review. It doesn't take long and it really makes a difference for the show. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, CircusTalk.com or wherever you're getting your podcasts. Now we're done for today. I wish you a great day and an even better week. Merde, toy, 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 if you're having shows. And as we say in the circus, see you down the road.